I can still remember the feeling as the words left my lips that day. Instantly I knew that was a mistake. Oops. I'd chosen poorly. The words hung there in the air awkwardly and I couldn't put them back in. I was at a performance, a musical performance, kind of a play, singing, uh, all sorts of things. I was there with a, a friend, and then I affirm that that's all it was, a friend. Uh, this was years ago. But we mutually attended this event together. Not a date, at least certainly not in my mind. <laughs> So, while we're talking about this event we're about to watch, she asked me, hey, if you were a character, who would you be? And I thought about it and, and shared whatever came to my mind, and then I turned the question back on her. Who would you be? And when she answered, I knew the story already, it hadn't yet begun, but I was very familiar with it. And she answered saying that she would be so-and-so who was a character who was just love-struck and the love was not returned and eventually she dies in dramatic fashion. And as I thought that through in that moment, I just blurted out my gut reaction and I said, I can picture you dying. And then I wished I could have phrased it differently. And as you can imagine, if that had been said to you, no matter what the intentions were, you might not be so pleased. Uh, and I began to try to explain what I meant, and, and I'm not going to take time this morning to justify the foolishness and, and all the many reasons, perhaps, why I might have said something foolish in that moment. But what I realized is it's easy to say something, but it's hard to unsay it. Benjamin Franklin, he once said, a slip of the foot you may soon recover from, but a slip of the tongue you may never get over. Powerful words as we head into James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verse 1. We've already seen James 1.27. James 1.27, we, we, we briefly highlighted a few weeks ago. Actually, verse 26, he said, If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, basically they're self-deceived and your religion is useless. Now James returns to this theme of how we use our mouth, how we use our words. James chapter 3, verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Teachers use their mouth and their words all the time. What a wonderful opportunity it is to be able to teach, but it's also a big responsibility. And I'm thankful that we have such good teachers here at Parkwood Church. 
We have wonderful teachers in the public school system, wonderful teachers in private schools, wonderful homeschool teachers. And we have good teachers in our Sabbath school divisions, whether the adults or whether the kids. And hopefully we can get back to that here in the near future. But there's a lot of responsibility when you teach, especially when you are teaching about God, when you're teaching the words of God. And if you lead somebody astray by your false teaching, that's on you. Now, obviously, people need to to check and make sure that what I'm saying and what the other teachers are saying is true. I think about the old PBS show, Reading Rainbow, and they would kind of highlight books at the end of the show, and there was a tagline that they used all the time. They said, but you don't have to take my word for it. Da-dun-dun. The idea was, check it out for yourself. Read this book about dogs, and you'll see it's a wonderful book about different types of dogs, or whatever they were advertising. And so, sure, there is responsibility on everybody to get into God's word for themselves. But there's also extra responsibility upon those who teach, upon parents who teach, teachers, people who share. And really, all of us have called to share and be a part of this gospel work. So God is asking all of us to teach in some way, but but those who teach on a regular basis even more so. Then verse 2, he says, For we all stumble in many things. And then we're going to be talking about stumbling with the tongue. You know, they say it's so easy for your tongue to slip up because your mouth is wet. So your tongue can slip a lot easier. Really easy to mess up with what you say. He continues, if anyone does not stumble in the word, in word, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle the whole body. Perfect here in Greek carries the idea of completeness. But you think about it. The self-control that you can have, if you can control what comes out of your mouth, that same self-control can help you in every other area of life. So James says, if, if you've got this figured out, if you've got the tongue sorted out through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're a mature believer. You are well on your way. And notice here, I'm reading from the New King James Version, but it says that you're also able to bridle the whole body. This is language that, uh, when you think of a bridle, that, that's used for horses, riding a horse. You're able to control, to steer your whole body. And notice how this sets up the next verse here, the next sentence, because he's going to use the same uh, a word in Greek that comes from the same root. Um, verse uh, 3, indeed, we put bits, we put things that bridle in horses' mouths, mouths that they may obey us and we turn their whole body. James is saying, hey, 
If you can control a horse just by the mouth, in the same way, your mouth can control you. Small part of the body as far as square inches goes, but it plays a huge role in how you live. Parents, you have a big responsibility for how you use your words with your kids. Teachers, huge responsibility. I mean, all of us, in one sense, have different people who look to us. There was a young boy who, who asked his mom one day, hey mom, can I go outside and help dad put the snow chains on the car tires? He said, I know, I know all the words to use. Apparently he'd been around his dad and his dad had been frustrated. I know all the words. Kids are listening. Little pitchers have big ears. People are looking to us. Can control a large animal with a small part of the body. He continues this same idea. Verse 4, look also at ships. Although they are large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small what? A very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Verse 5, even so the tongue is a little member and boasts of great things. The mouth is small, but it can do big things. Continues, uh, second half of verse 5, see how a great forest, a little fire, kindles. You know, right now here in Modesto, here in California, we know what fire can do. We've seen the effects, we're breathing the effects of a small fire that became a very big fire. Verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. It sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. The effects of the tongue can either lead to life or they can lead to destruction. Imagine for a moment that instead of your, your regular mouth and words coming out of your mouth, you had a flamethrower attached right here to the front of your face. Would you be more aware of how you were aiming that thing and how you were using it? Of course you would, because you wouldn't want to burn everything down. James is saying, your words are explosive. They are flammable, and you have to be so, so careful how you use them. Countries can go to war simply based upon words. How are you using your words? You know, when you go camping up in the mountains, you generally have to get a fire permit. And when you sign the fire permit paper, there's also instructions on how to carefully put out the fire. Because many people have left the fire thinking it's out, and that has created a big problem because it can still come back. Um, in fact, at my in-law's property, there was a fire that got started, um, not through any fault of their own, but it got started even when it looked like everything was fully out. In, in fact, when the, the fire people came to put it out, they said, no, you did everything right. Uh, but he said, sometimes fire can, 
can lay dormant under the ground for weeks at a time and can pop back up again. Uh, it's amazing how careful we have to be. But when you fill out the little permit, they say things like, okay, when you're done with your fire, dump water on it. And then you get a shovel and you mix it around. You might even put some dirt in there if you want to. If there are still pieces of wood, you're going to knock off the embers that are still alive. You're going to dump more water on it. And you're going to repeat this process until you can put your hand down there and there's no more heat coming up out of your fire pit. They're so deadly serious about it because fire has such great damage potential and loss of life potential. And if we do that, for literal fire, how much more careful should we be for something that's more subtle? The words that come from our lips. Look at verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. They've been subdued, put in our zoos, uh, taken as pets. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly, what? Poison. You can, you can bring all sorts of animals into your zoo if you want to. You can bring poisonous or reptile snakes and keep them in your house if you want to. And I, I don't want to. But that's all right if you do. Uh, and people do that all the time. But James says the tongue, whew, that is an animal all of its own that can't be tamed. Many of us think, I can control my tongue. And that's the problem. We're thinking and relying upon our own strength. Nobody can control the tongue. The only person who can help us with this is Jesus. Willpower alone is not sufficient. It takes a miracle from above. Notice how he continues. With the tongue, verse 9, we bless our God, our Father, and with it we curse men who have been made out of the same image, the same similitude of God. Out of the mouth, the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. As if it weren't obvious enough, James says, hey, by the way, it shouldn't be like this. If you're singing praise to the Lord, your tongue should continue on in praise to the Lord. It's easy for us to put on our happy Sabbath smiles after we've just had a big blow up at home, used words we shouldn't use, and we get to church. Hey, good to see you, brother. Happy Sabbath, sister. These things ought not to be so. In one of Aesop's fables, he talked about a donkey in the woods that came across a lion's skin. Hunters had, had killed a lion and they had skinned it and had put the skin out to dry. And the donkey thought, this is a good opportunity. So somehow he put the lion's skin over top of him. Must have been a big lion and a small donkey. Aesop didn't explain how this part worked. But the donkey started walking around the forest looking like a lion, and all the animals were terrified of him. And he thought, this is so awesome. Everyone respects and fears me. And he let out a hee-haw. And then everybody knew who he was inside. 
We can look like we are a saint on the outside, but if people listen closely to our words, they might discover something else. You know, sometimes our words that we use may be nice to other people, but they might be harsh towards our own self. James would say, these things ought not to be so. God wants consistency with how we use our words, how we speak to others, and even how we speak to ourselves. Look at verse 11. Does a spring send forth fresh water from, and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives and a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh water. If you've got a well, it only has one source. If good things are in the source, good things will come out. What did Jesus say? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's, your, what's in your heart will be reflected in what comes out of your mouth. You know, this passage is it's just so practical and it speaks to us so literally that we don't really have to do a lot of translation to it. So I thought this morning I'd, I'd like to share just more broadly, briefly from Scripture. So I'm going to grab my clicker that I conveniently left for myself over there. Not so convenient. I want to share a few passages just to drive home this point even more. If we aren't convinced already, listen to how Scripture shares these passages to us. We're going to go to the first one here. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 and 37. But I say to you that for every what? Every idle word that men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Other humans may not hear your words, but God hears our words. The things that we say in our car when there's nobody around, God hears that. Next, we go to Proverbs 26, 18, and 19. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. I've been guilty of a lot of jokes I shouldn't have said. And it's easy to sometimes hurt people unintentionally just by joking. We've got to be so careful. So careful what we say, how we say it. What about Proverbs 12, verse 18? There's one whose rash words are like the piercing, uh, piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. It's easy for us to get those little jabs in. We're speaking to our spouse or to somebody, just those little, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, you know, the, the mouth is, is pretty powerful. The, the Jewish rabbis talked about how, you know, if you're in a fight, your fists can only reach so far. But words are, are like swords. They, in other places, they're like arrows. Arrows can go 
a pretty long ways. But even in Psalm 73, verse 9, it says our words essentially can travel around the world. I can hurt somebody on the other side of the world just by my words. They can't hear my literal voice unless we're talking on the phone or over the internet, but they can read my words. Got to be so careful how we use our words, how we use social media, how we carry ourselves. Our words make a difference. What about this one here? Proverbs 26, verse 20. Bible says, without wood, fire will do what? It'll go out. And where there is no tailbearer, strife ceases. What's a tailbearer? Another word for a gossiper. So easy to use our words to share that juicy little morsel that can be so destructive. God says, if you want strife to cease, stop gossiping. Stop gossiping. Don't even do it in a sneaky way, like, hey, we really got to be praying for brother so-and-so. You heard about him, right? You know what's going on? Or pray about this situation. Got to be so careful about that. What about 1 Peter 3, 9? Not returning evil for evil. What else? Insult for insult. Reviling for reviling. Another word for insult. It's really easy when someone says something bad about us, someone insults us, to try and find something bad about them, even if it's not true, to sling back to them. God says, don't do it. Don't do it. Peter warned us of this danger. Why? Why is this a danger? Well, one of the reasons it's a danger is because of Proverbs 18, 19. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like bars of a castle. When you've offended somebody, it's hard to get them back. You need to try, and you need to confess your sin and ask for forgiveness. But sometimes the damage has been done. Got to be so careful what we say. But our words, while they can be used for evil, can be used for so much good. Notice this one, Proverbs 16, 24. Kind words are like what? They're like honey. My Bible says, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Let your words be like honey this week. Sweet for those who hear them. Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer does what? turns away wrath. But harsh words stir up anger. Your words have the, have the, the ability to de-escalate conflict this week. Or sometimes just your silence may be what's needed. They say that silence is often a good thing to do and almost always a clever thing to say. Or nothing is often a clever thing to say. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt talk proceed from your mouth. But what is good and necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Your words should be uh, building people up, not bringing them down. I love this, Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my strength 
and my Redeemer. Ask God today, ask God at the end of your day, God, were the words that I said today, were they acceptable to you? Were they pleasing to you? Pray as you start your day, God, are my words, please use my words to be pleasing to you, acceptable to you. And of course, we all know that the source of our words is not literally right here in our mouth. The source of our words, of course, comes from our heart. What did Jesus say in, in Matthew 15, 18? He said, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. If you say bad words, it's because you have a bad heart, at least part of it. If you say mean things, it's because there's meanness in your heart. So as we reflect on what James has shared with us today about the dangers of the tongue, how do we change what we say? We have to change what's in our heart. We need to have a new heart. As we've said, nobody can tame the tongue. Nobody can take a corrupt heart and make it pure except Jesus. We need to spend time every single day curating our words, having our, our heart be filled with the goodness and the love of God so that when we speak out of the abundance of our heart, full of love, words full of love, will flow. Before we close out, though, I want to go to the book of Revelation. And I'll invite you to turn there. Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13. You know, there's a lot going on in our world right now. And it's turned many hearts and minds to the Bible and to prophecy. But I want to take a, just a brief look here about something because the mouth is involved in the end time events more than we perhaps realized. Revelation chapter 13, and of course you remember in Revelation 12, the, the serpent, the dragon, spewed water out of his mouth to attack the church. But God had a plan to preserve the church. And so when you look at Revelation 13, uh, verse 1 at the very end, it says, on the head of this beast out of the sea had a blasphemous name. Uh, this name causes people to blaspheme. Look at verse 4, Revelation 13, verse 4. It says, so they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, part of their worship involves what they're saying. Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Verse 5, and he was given a what? A mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. The beast power using the mouth using what they say to blaspheme God. Verse 6, then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God. Skip on down to verse 11, Revelation 13, verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and spoke like a what? Like a dragon. We can identify that, that this beast, this power is not from God because of how it speaks. We could talk at a further time about what all this means, but I just want you to get the sense here. Words are important, 
and words play a, a powerful role in the last days. Verse 15, he was gr- granted power to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Now we've seen the beast out of the sea speaking, blasphemies, the beast from the earth is speaking like a dragon, and now this same beast, the image of the beast, is speaking and causing people to worship, worshiping falsely. In contrast, look at Revelation 14, verse 5. Revelation 14, verse 5, describing the 144,000, those who are saved in the last days. It says, and in their mouth was found what? No vile, no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. The people in the last days, the people who are saved, they've given God their whole heart. They've given God their mouth. And so what comes out of their mouth is praise to the Lord and not deceit, not vile, not vile things. Of course, the three angels' messages couldn't be proclaimed without words. Verse 7, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. Verse 8, another angel followed, saying, Babylon has fallen. Verse 9, a third angel followed with them, saying with a loud voice, again and again, the message is proclaimed by words. And God wants us to be a part of that proclamation. So how are we going to use our mouth? How are we going to use our mouth? Is it going to be a fire that destroys? Or is it going to be empowered and, and blessed by the Holy Spirit and bring people to salvation. Four years after the Titanic sunk, there was a a young Scotsman. He rose up in a meeting in Hamilton, Canada. Sometimes the tongue slips. That wasn't an evil slip. That was just uh, a slip slip. Canada. Young Scotsman, he, he stands up He said, I'm a survivor of the Titanic. I was there. I was there in the waters, clinging on to a piece of debris, floating there in the waters. And as we're floating there, holding on for our lives, a guy named Mr. John Harper from Glasgow, uh, on a piece of wreck near him, floated up near him, and he said, man, are you saved? And the young Scotsman said, No, I'm not. John Harper replied and he said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The currents took them apart. Sometime later, it brought them back together again. And again, John Harper asked this young Scotsman, Are you saved now? And he responded, he said, No. I can't say that I am saved now. Again, the answer came, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And shortly after this appeal for salvation, John Harper slipped into the cold, dark waters, never to rise again. 
But there, alone that night, with two miles of water underneath him, the young Scotsman finally could say, I believe I am saved. I am John Harper's last convert. How are you going to use your words this week? How are you going to use your words today? There are people who need to hear your positive words, who need to hear the words of salvation that you have to offer. I want my words to be used for good. How about you? Only God can help us. So let's ask him. Loving Heavenly Father, here we are in need of your strength, in need of your Holy Spirit to fill us with love, purify our hearts and fill us with good words, words that can be shared, words that can save, words that can point people to you, the source of our salvation. Lord, I pray that you'll give us opportunities today opportunities this week. And when you prompt us, Lord, let us use our words for you. If we slip up, we know you'll forgive us, Lord, as we confess our sins. And we know you'll help us get back up on our feet again and use our words better the next time. This is our prayer, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a blessed Sabbath and use your words for God.